two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and it is great to have you tuning into our podcast today. Now, we have a lot going on with national security and foreign relations, especially after this past weekend with a visit from our Secretary of State Blinken to Saudi Arabia and China. And I want to jump into that right away with my guest today. She is the founder of Polaris National Security and former Department of State spokesperson Morgan Ortegas. Morgan, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you. Yes, there's so much going on. I really was like, where do I even start? But I do want to start with this trip to China because some interesting stuff happened. We know that the Secretary of State went over to China and it was questionable as to whether he was even going to be allowed to meet with President Xi, even though Bill Gates had literally just met with him. What does that look like for the Biden administration? So let's just start from the very beginning of of, should Blinken even be going right now? So no... No secretary of state has been to China since 2018. Uh, Obviously, I was in the Trump administration for the last two years of the administration and served as Pompeo's spokesperson. And we did meet the Chinese, our our counterparts, uh, on, you know, for what they would call bilateral meetings. That just is a fancy word for meeting the the two sides are meeting on the heels of uh, like a G20 uh, or we met them once in Hawaii in 2020 during COVID. Um, but we never went to China. And, and one of the reasons that Pompeo made that um, decision, Tudor, is because, uh, especially in 2020, whenever Pompeo was one of the first people in the world to start calling out China for not being open about what was really going on with COVID. Actually, he did this in February 2020. And a lot of people, a, a, a lot of people confuse and, and sort of think that somehow the U.S. and China relationship is bad because the United States 
is upping the rhetoric. It's a very Washington-centric view that you often hear, um, where they where the thought is, well, if we just calm down our rhetoric, then suddenly the Chinese will change. And I just think that that you know, I think that's a very Washington-centric version of what is actually going on. And so, what do I think that uh, Blinken should have done? I, I'm not opposed to him meeting with the Chinese. That's the hard work of diplomacy, right? That's what that's what you have to do. The easy stuff is whenever you are. Uh, you know, meeting with the Europeans or, you know, the, the Brits or the Australians, right? These are our friends. The hard stuff is whenever you're meeting uh, with the Chinese or the Russians. So um, so for me, I just think the optics of him going to Beijing uh, gave Xi Jinping and his uh, leadership uh, a win, right? That's going to be all over Chinese media. I don't see why they could have met, have met on more neutral grounds. So I, I don't, I, and while that may seem sort of like a minor detail to your listeners, well, like, who cares where you go to meet? Uh, who goes to whom is really, really matters a lot in diplomacy and foreign policy. And I think I would have, if I were Blinken, if he really wants to change the status of the relationship and wants the Chinese to behave better, I don't think sort of capitulating, chasing them, chasing them to China to have a meeting, begging for them to meet for a meeting if the press reports are accurate. I don't know that that's the right way to go about it. Now, both sides are putting out sort of happy-go-lucky readouts, which is kind of normal for these meetings. But uh, Secretary Blinken did tell people uh, on his plane on the way back that China did not agree to open up the military-to-military communication uh, lines. And, And so probably a lot of your listeners will remember um, whenever Austin, who's the Secretary of Defense, was in Singapore, he asked to meet with the Chinese with his counterpart, and he was turned down. And, and so that's another reason why I really don't like the optics of the meetings. But I think, um, you know, we'll see what actually comes comes out of it. But I, I, I think not getting the military, the Chinese military, the PLA, to start talking to us again uh, just shows sort of, for me, it just shows the intransigence. And I don't love giving Xi Jinping a win on his home soil. Well, give us the behind the scenes on the relationship with China right now. When you look at this spy balloon that went across the entire United States and just last week, we've got President Biden coming out and saying, I think it was embarrassing for them. But they do seem to be trying to prove that they have the upper hand time and time again. You have not seen Joe Biden come out and condemn them for COVID. And now this spy balloon is embarrassing for them. Does that seem embarrassing for China to you? Uh, maybe that it got shot down, but the fact that it traversed, you know, the entire United States before finally getting shot down and it was allowed to essentially finish its mission, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, like I said, I think we have a, a mismatch of intentions and actions right now between the United States and China. So we're sort of, the Biden administration is sort of in this position that they want to back down on the competition with China. Um, they want to green light, you know, things like more doing more business in China. You know, one of the, I think, the fundamental flaws that the Biden administration pursues with China, Tudor, is, is that they are willing to make concessions for climate change. And, you know, not, not that I, I, I want a greener and better environment, who doesn't want that? But I don't believe a thing that the Chinese Communist Party tells me. And I certainly don't believe them, you know, to or whatever they make concessions for climate change. I don't believe them to keep those promises because they built more coal plants than ever last year. So in foreign policy, it's rarely black and white, right? There's always shades of gray. And whenever we, like when Mike Pompeo and I and others on our team, when we were meeting like with the Russians, for example, there's tons that was wrong in the relationship. And you have to talk about those things. But then you also have areas in the relationship where you think, okay, 
maybe the Russians want to actually work with us on XYZ issue. And so you'll bring that up as a part of the meeting. So normally what happens, just to give your your listeners and, and viewers a little insight, you know, you these meetings at a lower level, so not with Xi Jinping, but you know, at the diplomatic level, last for hours and hours and you and you cover as many topics as you can and both sides are sort of listening to say, okay, is this the place where the other side will move, right? Is this a place where we can get a concession? And so you learn a lot in those. You you rarely learn a lot, actually, and when you meet with Xi Jinping. I, I think Blinken's meeting was very short. But but when I but just to go back to my original point about mismatch of intentions, the Chinese and you can just see it in the pictures. If if your audience goes and looks at some of the pictures of Blinken and Xi Jinping or Blinken um, and China's top diplomat. Uh, you can see the body language. Blinken looks very de deferential. Xi Jinping has a very, you know, austere, triumphant look on his face. He looks like the alpha, right, in the in the handshake in the, in the relationship. And, and and that also goes back to my original point of giving them the PR win on their soil. But I think it speaks to a bigger issue of where the Chinese Communist Party thinks they are in the world. Uh, they think that they are a rising power. They think that they can have regional dominance. They think that the West, and this includes America and Europe, is too decadent um, and that their people won't stand up and fight for them. And they see their, you know, the, their economy is going through a little bit of a hard time. But on the whole, right, the Chinese economy is just dwarfing everyone, everyone else on the planet. So the Chinese feel very, very confident. They're very, you know, very assured of themselves. They think that this is their moment in the sun. Shouldn't we be a little bit nervous about the fact that our, I mean, we're definitely not balanced on trade. We're bringing about $600 billion worth of product in here and we're only selling them $150 billion. That is really not even on trade. And then we also have the issue of they are creating the world's largest Navy. I mean, they're getting closer and closer to the United States. They keep moving their naval bases closer to the United States. I think that American people... It's interesting because when I talk about this publicly, you have folks, you know, the average American on both sides, some of them are just, they just know that there's the Communist Party there and they have some fear over China. And then you have the other side saying, we've worked with China for years, which we truly have, but they're... Their 150-year plan or 100-year plan has been different than America's eight-year plan, you know, every every eight years. So what is the truth when you see China getting to this point of power? I mean, they really do have a lot of power. It's not as though they don't. And so could they, if we make the wrong moves, could they overtake the position of being the world leader? They're on their way to do that right now. I mean, you just brought up so many great points up there, and, and let me try to tackle it by starting holistically. So, you know, about so if you look at forty years ago, if you look at Nixon going to China, right, and and you and the thought, and, and Nixon was was very, you know, he was tough on China, right? He was tough on the communists. The thought at the time, and then later in the Bill Clinton administration, when he also pursued moves to open up, and and in the Bush administration, uh, uh, George W. Bush in the first term uh, when we allowed the Chinese into the WTO, the World Trade Organization, all of those moves were based under this fundamental theory of, uh, and I think it made sense at the time, you know, it, it was not a dumb move by, by any means of Nixon going to China. The thought was, if we open up to China, if we start trading with them, if we start doing business with them, then the Communist Party is going to see the benefits of capitalism. They're going to see millions and millions of people coming out of poverty 
and that will moderate their behavior. Um, that was the that was the theory. Um, and again, it was a theory that makes sense and actually worked for a while. But what we did, unfortunately, and and listen, we were really busy after nine eleven. But we were unfortunately really distracted from some of the realities. Um, I think that it was way too weak of a trade deal whenever we let um, China into the WTO um, to begin with. And we ignored for years and years and years the theft of our intellectual property. We've ignored the way Chinese, I mean, American businesses are treated totally differently than, than Chinese businesses have been have been here. Um, and, and when Xi Jinping came to power, everything, if you go back and if everybody Googles the Rose Garden Ceremony, uh, the Rose Garden press conference in 2015 that President, then President Barack Obama had with Xi Jinping, everything that Xi Jinping promised that he wasn't going to militarize the South China Sea, that he would stop the intellectual property theft. If you go through the list, he's not keeping any of those promises. And, and so for me, I'm sort of thinking, well, of course, like, why would the communists keep their promises? This doesn't surprise me at all. I think what happened is whenever we realize how egregious China's behavior was, we kept making we as a society, and this is Republicans and Democrats, we kept either willfully ignoring it and saying, you know what, they're an ascendant power. And so we just need to help them along the way. We kept willfully ignoring it, um, especially when we were very busy in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that led to where we are today that the Chinese have gotten away with murder, so to speak, for for a long time, um, and they don't necessarily uh, uh, fear this administration at all. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is, quote, worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets, so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com tutor. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. 
Identity theft protection starts here. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They've certainly killed a lot of businesses in the United States. And I'll just make a comment on what you said Because I think a lot of people who are not in the manufacturing world or not bringing a product in may not totally understand what you're referring to. But for example, we had a steel foundry and there were often times when we would make a part and the Chinese would copy that part and go to our American customer and say, we can give this to you for, you know, 50 cents a pound cheaper. That is a massive win for that company. And even though the American company knew that the technology was stolen, knew that they had stolen the drawing and everything, they would go with that comp- the Chinese company and pull the American work. And so you may have Caterpillar or a company like that that is a strong American company. But when you look at the suppliers who used to be, those suppliers that are the, I mean, my dad used to say, we're like the hamburger, we're like making the hamburger for McDonald's, right? But suddenly all of those suppliers that are similar to the hamburger for McDonald's are no longer American made. And that happened time and time again. And we, you know, we, we've heard so many people say, when are we bringing a manu- American manufacturing back? It's not so easy to just rebuild a manufacturing plant or build a new one. Well, nobody knows this better than you being from uh, Michigan. My husband, by the way, Tudor is a GM guy. So he's in Detroit a lot. It feels like his second home. So he's, he's a honorary uh, a citizen of yours. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, but, but you, I love the example that you just gave. And, and I think this is so impo- important because people often don't think, well, why does foreign policy matter to me? What should I care? Who cares of what the Chinese doing? You just gave a real world example of how foreign policy and national security uh, actually affect our everyday lives, why why all of this matters. Uh, I think anybody in Michigan and in the Rust Belt in general, the story that you told, I, I hear those types of stories all the time. I, and, and by the way, you've seen offices and buildings recently um, financial service, American financial services companies' offices uh, have been raided. You know, American companies are starting to be treated very, very differently in China. And <clears throat> why does that matter? Because some people would say, well, our rhetoric here in the United States is tough against is tough against China. It gets back to this sort of premise um, that I think is very flawed, where people say, if America just talks nicer to China, and by the way, this could be the same for Iran or Russia, or you know, you could go through the list. Well, if we just talk nicer to them, we're raising the rhetoric, you know. Ask the Chinese neighbors, right? Ask Vietnam, ask the Philippines, ask Japan, ask, ask South Korea, ask, ask Australia, ask all of these people 
uh, what it's like to be, you know, neighbors to the Chinese uh, Communist Party and the threat that they know that they face in the region. So we've got to get over this totally American centric, like, you know, view of, well, if, if we just calm down, if we just tone down the rhetoric. And I used to hear this all the time in the Trump administration, as you can imagine, Tudor. And it used to just drive me wild. Like, well, Trump is saying X and Trump is doing this. And I said, yes. And these dictators respect him. They understand where he stands. You know, they I, I can tell you the things like the very first meeting between Tony Blinken, who's the secretary of state, and Jake Sullivan, who's the national security advisor with the Chinese, was not long after the administration had begun. And it was in Alaska. And the Chinese publicly in front of the press completely walked all over Blinken and Sullivan, went on a 20 minute rant in front of the media. It was embarrassing for them. And I had a lot of reporters, Tudor, that, that were texting me saying, oh, my God, what would Pompeo have done? And I said, well, this just never would have happened. It didn't happen. I said, I don't even know how to answer that question because because the Chinese would have never tried something like that in front of us. I mean, I think Pompeo would have, you know, would have absolutely bitten their head off if they tried it, and they knew it. And right. So it's not. Yes, there were, um, you know, yes, there was tough rhetoric. Yes, we, we did not go easy uh, on China. Uh, I actually think the fact that, that we were tougher on them makes the world a better, a safer place. I think the reason why the Russians invaded Ukraine is because they thought they could get away with it, right? And, and so this fallacy that Trump talks too tough. Right. They have had a, a strange alliance with China now. That is also concerning when you see that President Xi has been meeting with Putin and he's saying, he, I think it, what people don't understand is that he's coming out and saying, oh, I can broker per, broker peace. And that's not exactly where we want China to be as the one claiming to broker peace. That is a dangerous place. That's a sign of what's to come. He wants to be the world leader. He's saying, trust me. And that is what happens when somebody who has his intentions and has treated his own countrymen the way he has ends up taking over and we end up in a, a world war. Tudor, color me impressed because you really know your foreign policy. Um, you're right. Now, I will tell you the people who are super dorks like me have been paying attention to Putin and Xi Jinping meeting for a long time. I'd say for the past 10 to 12 years, the two of them have had a very close relationship. Um, it has been the, the two of them for, the like I said, roughly the past 10 to 12 years, Xi Jinping and Putin have met with each other more than they have met with any other world leader. Uh, just recently, Xi Jinping said that, that China and Russia have a no limits partnership. They said there was going to be change coming to the world order that the world had not seen in 100 years. This is all stuff that Xi Jinping is saying. So, and I'm glad you brought them up um, meeting because there's this sort of you know, argument that I, that I think is a fallacy, which is that we can somehow peel Russia away from China. Um, maybe like 12 years ago or 15 years ago, but he's been best friends. He's been besties on the international stage with, with uh, Xi Jinping for a very long time. Uh, and the Chinese still buy Russian energy. I mean, China, uh, Russia in many ways is becoming a vassal state to China. So I, I think that, you know, too many people discount uh, the closeness, the closeness between Xi Jinping and Putin. I saw Vivek or whatever his name is, who's running for president, said like, "Oh, I'll just take Putin away from Xi Jinping." I'm like, that makes zero sense. Like, that would have been smart 15 years ago. We probably should have done that 15 years ago, but we didn't. So now we have to. And you made a really great point that people need to understand. And one of your earlier questions to me, uh, you talked about how the Chinese Navy is bigger than our Navy now. 
you know, we can't, even if we get a, even if we doubled our defense budget, we don't have the shipbuilding capacity for our ships and our submarines um, uh, to keep up with the China. So we're going to have to be incredibly creative. We are no longer the world's largest military. Now, Chinese military equipment has not been tested in, in a war in a long time since Vietnam. So, um, so there's, there, so, you know, so there's, who knows how, how it could actually be tested. We saw the Russians have embarrassed themselves once, once they were tested with the Ukrainians. Um, uh, sorry, did I say Vietnam? Sorry, I meant Korea. Um, and, and so, um, so when you look at the Chinese, uh, when you look at the Chinese Navy, and I think, you know, even if I got my wish list from Congress, Tudor, and got the, our Navy budget double tomorrow, we still don't have the shipbuilding capacity uh, in order to... No, we don't actually even have the ability to meet the metallurgical specs. I mean, we have to get that from Europe. And that's, to me, terrifying is that we have to go uh, overseas to be able to build military equipment for our Navy. We cannot build it in the United States right now. There is nothing more important than you're doing than sounding the alarm about this. And, and, And I'm very, very glad you brought it up because... I think it does require us to have to start to think smartly because we we have to think, okay, the Pentagon has said that Xi Jinping wants his military, wants the PLA ready ready uh, to fight with uh, to fight potentially uh, for Taiwan. If there's you know, if we need to have a military, uh, uh, you know, military um, incident or or whatever over uh, uh over Taiwan, Xi Jinping wants that incursion to happen by 2027. That's what he said. He wants his military ready by then. So if we look at it from our perspective, again, because, as you just said, we don't have the capacity to build everything that we need here, much less having the budget, we're going to have to think uh, really, really creatively about how uh, we defeat China. You know, we're going to need new innovations um, in defense. And and by the way, there is some interesting stuff going on the battlefield in Ukraine, right? You can see these inexpensive drones that Ukraine has been um, using that has been quite effective. So there's ways in which we can hope for creative technological advancement that would give us an edge over the Chinese, but we're not going to be able to go, but we're not going to be able to go ship for ship. (laughs) That's a scary thought though. And I think that people are not understanding that if you have China coming around Alaska and you have China coming up to, to the United States and you have Russia surrounding the Western Europe, essentially, and creeping across Ukraine, getting to Poland, where are they going to go next? China, people say, well, Russia doesn't have the money, but China does have the money. So the two of them together are very powerful. And that's why I do think that it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't help us to have a, a strengthened Russian army, which they don't have at the moment. But when everybody talks about what should we do vis-a-vis Russia and Ukraine, first of all, it's so important, Tudor, to actually understand and learn the lessons um, of deterrence and, and why deterrence failed. And, and I'm not even trying to be political about it. A lot of people think I'm just trying to slam the administration. Uh, and I'm really, I'm, I'm really not. I'm like, we have to learn why deterrence failed. This administration said that their goal was to deter uh, Putin from invading Ukraine. They failed at deterrence. And we have to be honest with ourselves about why so that we can try to work on uh, deterring China from from uh, a military incursion into Taiwan. And by the way, that could happen with whomever was the next president. Also, earlier, I kept tripping over my words. I was talking about the Sino-Vietnamese War. So I, I apologize. I, I started to get my wars and conflicts mixed up. I was I was thinking of the last time the Chinese fought uh, the Vietnamese, which was, you know, not that impressive if you look at it historically, but they're in a very, very different place now. Well, I, I know I appreciate that. 
In addition to all of this, I think there are still a lot of questions from Americans about COVID origins, and that has never been brought up from anyone in the Biden administration. Why do you think that they are hesitant to even say anything? I don't know. It's really bizarre because of the you know millions of people around the world that passed away, uh, that died from, you know, from COVID, you know, this is something that they inflicted on the world. Um, I, I, I don't know why they're so hesitant because it, it did come from uh, China. We know, listen, I told reporters uh, back in probably March of 2020, spring of 2020, I gave a bunch of anchors, the top anchors in America, I gave them unclassified uh, document. Uh, it was a very, very big folder of research that our head China guy had done. And this is a guy, by the way, who grew up uh, in, in China. He, you know, man, Mandarin was his native language. We went through, we found all the reasons. We didn't find the smoking gun, but we had enough evidence to show that the lab uh, theory should not be dismissed, that it made the, mo- that it made the most sense. Um, and, you know, Democrats sort of, they ran in 2020 on COVID. And I think because they ran on it and were elected, on COVID, perhaps if they sort of admitted uh, that this was actually something that the Chinese could have prevented, um, I have absolutely no clue if it was if it was intentionally leaked from the lab uh, or if it was just an accident because they had shoddy procedures at that lab. I tend to believe in competence over conspiracy um, because you know people are pretty incompetent, so that tends to be my go-to. But I think that's why people call for an investigation. Absolutely, that's why we should have an investigation, um, and, and, and so I. I don't know why they're so fearful to talk about it. You know, I think there is a genuine worry about about angering the Chinese and the rhetoric going going too far. And and I just don't think that's the way we should be approaching it. I think that we shouldn't be afraid to, to speak truth to power um, and we shouldn't be able to bring be afraid to bring up these things. I remember very vividly in February 2020 when um, I was with Pompeo in Munich at the Munich Security Conference, it was one of the last things that happened on the world stage uh, before everything sort of shut down. And people looked at him like he had five eyes when he started ranting in his speech and saying, listen, the Chinese Communist Party is hiding this from us. And no one had locked down yet. Everyone sort of knew COVID was coming, but I think people were in denial. And I remember people sort of like giving him funny looks during his speech at the time, but he he knew exactly what was happening and what the Chinese were trying to cover up. Um, and he was a very clarion voice on it. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, the only th- the only thing I can think is that it must be political for the Democrats because they ran on COVID. And if they admit that, you know, that they were wrong about the wet market and wrong about the lab leak, perhaps they think it'll cost them politically. I don't know why you wouldn't just admit that it's a that it is a legitimate thing to discover because they don't want to admit Trump's right. It's the only thing I can think of. I mean, that's probably right. Speaking of all of that, I just want to ask you um, one question about the election coming up. Obviously, we have a presidential election coming up and we see a lot of culture war out there. But do you think that this starts to take a center stage once we get closer to the election? We've seen now this visit with Blinken. Do you think we're going to see some of these candidates say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a threat. We have to have somebody that's going to address the threat. I hope so, because I think as much as people like to talk about some of the sillier, you know, stuff in politics and and uh, who's up, who's down in this poll and that poll, what every American needs to think about, in my mind, is what we talked about towards the beginning of your show, is, is that uh, Xi Jinping has directed the PLA to be ready for a military incursion into Taiwan by 2027. So whomever we elect as the next president could be the person that's overseeing uh, a conflict which would lose 
uh, which would have direct U.S. involvement. This would be World War II level conflict. We're talking about losing a number of aircraft carriers just in the first week, not to mention the amount of American service members that we would lose in that type of war. And we've got to do absolutely everything that we can to deter it. And really, I think people need to understand that the future is technology. Technology comes mostly out of Taiwan. It is very important that we keep China out of Taiwan. And that's why you see this massive potential conflict in the future. And that's why we need a a strong leader on national security. And we appreciate what you do with Polaris National Security. I'm I'm so excited that you're still involved. I loved talking to you today. I thought this was amazing. And I I hope our listeners enjoyed it. But I learned a lot. So I would love to have you back sometime. Morgan Ortegas, thank you for joining us today. I would love to come back. Thank you. And hopefully we're on TV together sometime soon. That would be great. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or wherever you get your podcasts, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a great day. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.